Hey, welcome back to another episode of Caffeinated CX, where we talk about CX and stuff all in a hyper-caffeinated state. I'm David, your host, and just remember to review, rate, share this show so we can make the show grow, and yeah, that would be appreciated. So, share away. Today, we're going to be talking about hiring and staffing your contact center, and real surface-level stuff about it, but... Let's go. Let's say you're just starting a call center or you're restaffing a call center. You're just taking up one that was decimated by bad management and everybody kind of left. And you have to start the hiring process all over again, which I've had to do in my career, taking over for some bad managers where they caused everybody just to walk away. So now... The thing is, you have to staff smart. You have to be, you have to know what the call volume is, what any projections are, historical trends, everything like that in order to staff appropriately. Um, Thomas Laird on his Expedia site has a calculator, which with some tweaking is a really, really, really good tool um, for you to know roughly how many call center agents you need per hour to be staffed up appropriately, right? That's with a, you know, really 80-20 pickup rate, um, stuff like that. So, and it works in 10% shrinkage, so good to go. So, but too few people answering the phones and your your abandonment rate skyrockets. Potential customers hang up after being on hold for too long, and if they do wait, they'll be a little anxious obvious understatement but a little bit anxious and may not go with your service product or just might be too angry and bitter to talk to your call center reps in a productive way right now that's not even taking into consideration your staff who will be stressed and overworked there's a lot of calls coming in and no one to answer them the employee may feel the urge to rush customers off the phone that's bad. That's also why we don't incentivize average handle time. Right? It causes people to rush customers off the phone. If you staff too many people to answer the phones, one, you're burning cash. Two, people are sitting around waiting for something to do, and it's an all-around bad time. Now, you might be thinking, well, it all pays the same. Oh, no. All right. You need a happy medium. It's been said that the occupancy for an efficient, effective contact center agent is 75%. That's how much of an hour the employee is busy, either on the phones, making notes, writing thank you notes, whatever. That's a pretty good standard. 45 of every 60 minutes should be spent helping customers. The other 15 minutes, which would be time between calls, uh, is to allow the employee to catch their breath, have a sip of water, tea, coffee, use the restroom. It helps prevent burnout, which is hugely important for your center. Know your call volume, both from historical data and marketing projections and staff from there. You do want to work that 10% shrinkage into your schedule. This will take into account any call-outs, people who are running late, the random family emergency, stuff like that. Now, you want to handle habitual offenders with the calling out and being late, but you can't fault an agent for being legitimately sick, right? 
So, yeah, we're going to staff up, but who exactly are we looking for? Now, the easiest way to staff up is to hire anyone that shows up to the interview. But you don't want to do that. That's bad. The correct way is to have a vision of the type of personality you want being the first impression of your company. What you want to hire is customer service rock stars. So, what's that? What is a customer service rock star or superstar? Uh, it's someone with a zest for customer service, a people person, one who has the resiliency to take 60, 70, 80, 100 or more calls per shift, all with an enthusiastic attitude, a smile, and can express empathy, urgency, and tenacity, tenacity, tenacity with their voice. I am not doing well. Yeah, that seems to be asking a lot, and it is, but it's worth the search. These people will be representing your brand more than your marketing does, more than truck wraps or billboards or anything. People only half pay attention to those things. They hang on every word a good CSR says. They need equal parts emotional intelligence and adversity intelligence. IQ helps, but not as much as the other two. Now, there are four key skills that a customer service superstar needs to possess, and those are empathy, creativity, perseverance, and flexibility. I did an episode on that a while ago. But let's define what a customer service superstar is. A customer service superstar is never rude or condescending to a customer or another employee. They go the extra mile and beyond to assist the customer. They know their product, their service, and their company inside and out. They know where their customer needs to go, even if they are unable to help them directly. They call their customers back when they said they were going to. They keep their customers informed with updates. They pay attention to what the customers say and notate every interaction. They don't let even the smallest of customer concerns slip through the cracks. They practice empathy and know how to build rapport. They leave voicemails when necessary and follow up with an email or a text. And they don't become frustrated or let that frustration show when talking to a rude or condescending customer. They don't slack off when they perceive their coworkers are. They don't read tone in text. They know not only what they can and cannot control, but also know what others can and cannot control. Uh, they're constantly checking their email and other communication platforms, so they are informed of changes and updates. They ask questions when they don't know something, they retain that information, and are able to teach others who have that same question in the future, which is pretty cool. So, so once you have your kick-ass ad up and you bring people into interviews, how are you going to interview them? Right now, first, before you bring them in for the interview, I would suggest sending out something like the disc or maybe the culture index or something like that, just so you know what you're dealing with, with the, with the applicant, right? The person coming in. So, and for those ads, they want to be kick-ass. They want to be punchy, short and fun, have some of the primary job duties in there, have a salary range maybe the hours that you're hiring for just to weed out anybody that doesn't want to work at night, right? Or what have you. 
Um, I would avoid having words like data entry in the job description. I mean, obviously they're going to do data entry. That's what they do, but it's not the core focus of the job. It's not what you're hiring for, right? You're hiring for people to represent your brand, to help your customers, and maybe make some extra revenue for you. Data entry is like the least important part of that. It's important and they need to do it accurately, but yeah. All right. So the first thing you're going to do after, you know, they apply, you get it, they get, you send the disc, whatever, is you're going to do a phone screening. And you're not really looking for much on the phone screening. You're looking how they answer the phone, how they talk to you, and ask a couple of basic questions. And then based on that, you're going to bring them in for the sit-down interview or the interview over Zoom or whatever. So... So now a couple of warnings here. Now that you have that pool of applicants uh, who passed the phone screening, it's time to bring them in. Now, a major temptation here for a lot of people is to, especially if you're trying to hire fast, is to have a group interview. You know, when you bring three, four, five people into the interview room at the same time, interview them all at the same time, and yeah. Now that might work for sales, maybe, but not for many other positions. First, it's awkward as all heck for the candidates. Second, if you're asking the same questions of all the candidates, it gives an unfair advantage to all but the first candidate who asked the question to. And that's true. It gives them time to think of the appropriate answer and base their answer on what other people answered. So it's really not fair to the first person asked. Don't do it. Plus it's awkward. You're not going to see people at their best in a group interview. So <clears throat> now a few of the questions I like to ask in the interview are, uh, what are some of the biggest challenges in your life? They don't need to be work related. Tell me three things you're most proud of. Tell me about the best customer service experience as a customer that you've had. Tell me about the worst customer service experience as a customer that you've had. What skill or ability of yours did your last employer undervalue the most? What are you reading right now? Tell me about a time when you were communicate, communicating with someone and they didn't understand you. What did you do? Now, there are much more, these are much more important questions than have you ever sent an email before? Or if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? So, yeah. Now, try to make them as comfortable as possible in that interview. Um, if this was for a sales position, I would recommend doing the opposite, but it's not, so I won't. Uh, offer them coffee, water, tea, what have you, you know, so it's a nice thing to do. Now, a major red flag in the interview is if the candidate doesn't ask any questions at all, or if they don't know anything about your company. They should have at least gone to your website. Or, of course, the classic red flag of the candidate is not answering any of your questions. One of the worst interviews I've ever conducted was with someone whose resume was impeccable. Years of contact center and customer service experience. Good tenure in our former positions. That's less important than you may think, but 
whatever. Uh, she was well put together and arrived before interview time and had an air of confidence around her until I started asking questions. Then it fell apart horribly. So I asked, tell me about the best customer service experience as a customer that you've had. And they, her answer to that was, well, um, hmm. I feel as a customer, customer service is very important to me. Um, customer service is something that um, is essential to all customers. Huh. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sure. Maybe she's never had an experience as a customer before. I mean, who knows? Um, her other answers were pretty much similar to that. Uh, we did not go forward in the hiring process. Maybe she was nervous, but imagine her being nervous talking to your customers. So, which she will be no matter what her experience is when she first starts taking calls. All right, so after you interview your people, you've uh, hired them, they've all passed their background checks, they've all been given start dates, and then it's time to train them. Even if they've worked in contact centers before, especially if they've worked in other contact centers before. So, now, before we wrap up here, uh, don't feel bad if you made a bad decision or two on hiring. It happens. There is no perfect hiring manager. Some people will fool you. Just act swiftly once you realize and jettison from your roster quickly. A bad or even toxic cultural fit can spell doom for your department. A quick death. A toxic fit will nuke your culture and drive the good away. It's really like an aggressive cancer. It hurts even more when their performance is great. But no matter what their performance is, a toxic hire needs to be fixed. And how do we fix bad hires? We By promoting them to customer. That's a fun way of saying fire them. Otherwise, you risk too much. Once the sanctity of a department has been fouled, it's hard to recover. That's been today's Caffeinated CX. See you guys next time. Bye.